If you have a Bible or device, you can turn to John 15, or if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 764. Uh, Glenn, we don't sing that song at EDSS anymore. EDSS is supreme, I guess. We felt that way on Friday afternoon. A couple of you were playing football, junior football, and uh, for the first time in Lancer history, we won the Wixa Championship, and a number of you were there. So we felt supreme just uh, for, uh, for a few moments. I want to start by uh, telling a story as I recall it. Uh, when I was a, a teenager, our youth leaders took us to Toronto for the weekend, and they called it the inner city mission trip. And so Friday night we arrived, and we were split up into small groups, and we're, we were each given a guide. And so my uh, a guide took our small group to a bus station, and he said, I want you to pretend that you are 13 years old. You've run away from home, you got on a bus, and here you are. And uh, he said, um, you're alone. You've got nothing except the clothes on your back. You've got $5 in your wallet. And I want you to answer a number of questions over the next couple of hours. He said, I'm going to take you on a tour, a walking tour. And I want you to answer questions like, where are you going to sleep tonight? What are you going to eat? How are you going to make money? Where are you going to go to the washroom? And so here we have a bunch of uh, uh, rural youth from Wallenstein. It's, it's the 90s, and so we were probably wearing fluorescent jackets. And we're walking through Toronto. And uh, he starts off by saying, where are we going to go? We're at the bus station. And we said, well, that, that looks like things are happening over there. There's more light and sound. And so we went in that direction. So over the next couple of hours, he just kept asking questions. Uh, we would walk by a bench, and he would say, is that a good spot for you to sleep tonight? And uh, we would look at it, and uh, we would say, well, it feels kind of exposed. And uh, the people that were walking down the sidewalk didn't all look as trustworthy as people from Wallenstein looked. And we said, well, I don't know if it's safe. And uh, he said, well, follow me. And so we followed him to a stairwell. We went down a stairwell to a la landing. There's a locked door. And he said, what do you think about this? And so we kind of scouted out that spot and thought, this would be better. It's more isolated, a little bit warmer down here. Yeah, this could be. And then he said, look at me. And he went up a couple of stairs and he said, what do you see? And we said, a scary man. And he said, what if you were sleeping and somebody came down these stairs? Would that be scary? We said, yeah, that, that would be scary. Well, maybe this isn't a good spot. And so we walked around. He said, uh, how are you going to make money? And we said, well, maybe we would um, get a job at the store or see a restaurant. Maybe we'd get a job there. He said, you're 13 years old. They're not going to hire you. We said, well, maybe we'll beg. And he said, what would happen if, if a police officer saw a child begging? And, uh, and so we walked through the, uh, through the city and he kept pushing us, kept asking questions. The question of where you would go to the washroom was easy for us, rural. There's a tree, there's a lamppost, that one's easy. But the other questions, those were really difficult for us. And after two hours, we are now hungry, we're cold, we're tired. So he says, I've got an idea. And so we're at this, um, on this street, and he said, we're going to walk down this street. And you're going to see something, some things that maybe you've never seen before. You're going to see individuals that will stand out. They're dressed a little bit differently. They are selling their 
themselves, their, their services. And we're going to be walking, and you might see a car pull up, and you might see them get into that car. And so we walked down the street, and that's exactly what we saw. We got to the end of the street, and we were, uh, we were huddled again, and he said, uh, so what do you think? Is that an option? He said, if I told you I knew a couple of older gentlemen that could give you a lot of money if you just spent a, a bit of time with them tonight, is that an option? We were absolutely horrified. He kept pushing us. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can't just walk around all night. What are you going to do? And we said, we thought in our heads, we just want to go home. We just want to go home to a warm bed. We just want to go home to a warm house for warm food and a loving family. And this morning as we continue in our series, All for Christ, Abide. Abide is the language of home. It means to remain, to stay. And as we look at uh, John 15, just take a moment to scan the first number of verses. You're going to see the word remain quite a number of times, or depending on your version, you're going to see the word abide. Abide means to have a spiritually permanent place of residence, to have a fixed address for your spiritual soul. And just like a group of young people wandering Toronto trying to answer questions, so we, so our soul is longing to be anchored into something or someone permanent. I've asked Bryce to read our scripture reading, and so he's going to come. And as he does that, watch for the word remain. Watch for the word abide. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Thank you, Bryce. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for these words, these words that are as true today as they were when they were spoken. Lord, we're praying that you will teach us. May your Holy Spirit be revealing the truth that we need to hear this morning. And we pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look at a number of passages this morning, but... uh, All of the passages outside of John 15, I'll put on the screen. And so I would encourage you to keep your finger anchored in John 15. Uh, So to set the scene, uh, Jesus is telling this parable. It's Thursday night. 
tomorrow night, Friday night, Jesus will be arrested. He will be executed. And uh, now he's with 11 of his disciples. One of them, Judas, one of the 12, Judas, has left, and he's making arrangements for his betrayal and Jesus' uh, arrest. And so uh, they, they were in the upper room. Uh, at the end of chapter 14, it says, come now, let us leave. So it appears like they are leaving the upper room. We're not sure if this is one of those things that parents say to their kids, we're going to leave now, and then they talk for a while so they don't actually leave. But let's just say they did leave, and so now they're walking uh, and maybe between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, and they're walking down some paths, and uh, maybe, they're, maybe they're seeing some um, uh, vin, uh, what do you call it? vine, somebody give me the word, vine branches, uh, and because uh, this is what we're talking about. I am prepared, I am prepared. And so um, <laughs> Jesus uh, comes to these, uh, uh, this, these vine branches, and he lifts them, lifts them up, and he says, disciples, uh, come uh, uh, gather around. And he says, I am the vine. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And the disciples are looking on. Much of the, and Jesus is telling us a metaphor here, and much of the New Testament imagery that we're seeing we see in the Old Testament narrative. So Jesus is not introducing us to new imagery at all. He is uh, using something that we've seen in the Old Testament. In fact, um, the vine represented Israel in the Old Testament. And so Psalms 80, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, uh, and we know that to be Canaan. So Egypt to uh, Canaan. And so uh, in the Old Testament, to be a part of the vine meant you were a part of God's people. And if you wanted to be a part of God's people, you needed to be a part of Israel. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. If you want to be a part of God, if you want to be uh, uh, under the favor of God, then you need to be a part of the vine. So Jesus is the vine. And so who is the gardener? Verse 1. My father is the gardener. And let's read verse 1 and 2 again. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So a good gardener is looking for fruit. And that's exactly what is happening. The gardener makes sure there will be fruit. If a branch is not yielding fruit, he cuts it off. We see that in verse 2. Not only is the gardener looking for fruit, he's looking for more fruit. That's a sign of a good gardener. So Jesus is the vine, the Father is the gardener, and in verse 5, we see that we are the branches. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. So here's a true and false question. I bring forth my fruit through the branches. I bring forth my fruit through you true or false that is true and that's pretty incredible two observations we make from that number one this is a great privilege the creator of the universe is uh, including us in the fruit bearing process God is accomplishing his supernatural harvest 
through you and me. And this is a very big deal. The second observation we make from this is that we were designed to be a a part of the fruit-bearing process. The joy and satisfaction that comes from the gardener seeing fruit is also given to us. So what does fruit look like? I like Gary's words. He says it this way. Fruit is the transforming work of God in me whereby the life character and mission of Christ begin to flow out of me in increasing measure. I'm going to read that again. Fruit is the transforming work of God in me, whereby the life, character, and mission of Christ begin to flow out of me in increasing measure. And so what does this look like? Uh, Scriptures show us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that is a beautiful picture. This is a beautiful picture. I can't wait until all of this is done and I can get into this, put this into my teeth, but this, the fruit of the Spirit from the Scriptures, that is a beautiful picture. What would you rather experience, that or this? This is the fruit fruit that God is talking about. Another thing we learn from this verse You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. And this is what I want to highlight from this verse. Fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Love this fruit doesn't last very long. doesn't last long enough in the fridge. The fruit that we're talking about lasts forever. Fruit has eternal significance. Not only does God want us to bear fruit, he wants us to bear more fruit. And we in our Western culture, we love the word more. More stuff. More experiences. More followers. We just love more. If I have more, then I will be living my dream. I like this quote from Jim Carrey. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. We don't need to have all the experiences and the wealth that Jim had to know that that is not the answer. More of the wrong stuff, and we've experienced this, more of the wrong stuff suffocates, more of the wrong stuff cripples, and often leaves us fatigued, leaves us restless, and overwhelmed. overwhelmed. And on the contrary, more of God's fruit liberates, more contentment, more joy, more love, We are designed to live for God's glory. And more fruit happens through pruning. Verse 2. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning is not pleasant because pruning is done with saws and shears. And pruning cuts and cutting hurts. It's important for us to note that pruning is different than being disciplined by God. God disciplines those he loves. When we are a child of him and we're going this way and he wants to go, us to go this way, he disciplines us. Last week, the WBC kids learned about Jonah and the fish. God said, Jonah, you need to go this way. And Jonah went this way. And God got Jonah's attention. And if we pass the mic around this morning and we say, were you ever going this way and you were supposed to go this way? 
Did God discipline you? We'd have many, of sto- many stories for us uh, this morning. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He keeps us on a short leash. So sometimes we experience uh, pain. It's the reality of living in a broken world. Sometimes we experience pain because God is disciplining us. And sometimes we experience pain because God is pruning us. And I appreciate Bruce Wilkinson's comparison of discipline and pruning in his book, Secrets of the Vine. And I'll just go through this, this chart. He says, when we're looking at disciplining and pruning, if we're looking at the issue, how do you know it's happening? How do you know you're being disciplined? Well, you're going to experience pain. How do you know that you're being pruned? Well, you're going to experience pain. Then he says, why is this happening? Uh, if you're being disciplined, you're doing something wrong. You're going this way, you're supposed to go this way. Pruning. How do you know if you're being pruned? You're doing something right. What is your level of fruitfulness? If you're uh, being disciplined, there's no fruit in your life. If you're being pruned, there's fruit in your life. What is the gardener's desire? If you're being disciplined, there's fruit. If you're being pruned, he wants more fruit. He wants more love. He wants more joy. He wants more glory. What needs to go? If you're being disciplined, the sin needs to go. If you're being pruned, it's self. It's pride. It's being self-absorbed. How should you feel? Well, if you're going this way and you should be going this way, you should be feeling guilty. If it's pruning, it should be relief. Trust God. The creator of the universe is using me to bear more fruit for his kingdom. What is the right response? Repentance. Confession. You're going this way, you're turning around, and you're going this way. Or pruning, release. There's a surrender to God. When does it stop? When we stop sinning. When does it stop for pruning? When God is finished. When God is pruning, he is looking to maximize the fruit. Someone has said, God's goal is not to plunder or harm. God's goal is not to plunder or harm us, but to liberate us so that we can pursue our true desire, his kingdom. And aside from pruning, there are branches that are cut off. Let's take a look at verse 2. And theologians certainly debate this and what this could mean. And at WBC, we take the position that it appears, excuse me, it appears like the branch that gets cut off is the person who has made a false profession. They are not losing their salvation, but they are proving by their fruit that their profession was false. There's a verse that says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bare tree A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, 
by their fruit you will recognize them. We are not saved by our fruit, but fruit reveals the authenticity of our faith. They went out from, uh, out from us, another verse, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have, would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged uh, to us. All right, so when we think about the parable, we think about the father gardening. We think about Christ pro- providing the flow of sap, so to speak, into our life. We see the initiative of the Father and the, the Son. What's our initiative? What are we to do? And the answer is abide in Christ. Remain in the vine. That's what we're seeing all through this passage. Like we said earlier, abide is the language of home. Stay at home with Jesus as he makes himself at home with you. In the Greek, the word abide means to remain in the same place for a long period of time. Again, Abide means to spiritually have a permanent place of residence. Abiding is characterized by trust. It's radical faith. It's like the scuba diver that is attached to their air supply. In the same way, we are attached to Christ. And if we're not abiding, look at the end of verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. When we look at our tagline or vision or what we're all about, all for Christ. We've talked a lot about what that means as, we, as we've uh, worked through our series. Let me just quickly tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean hype, hype, rah, rah. This does not mean hype, hype, we are going to live all for Christ. I'm not going to walk out the door saying, I will live all for Christ. In fact, even as I say that, some of you are probably like, I just want to lay down on my pew. I just want to throw up my hands because I know I cannot do that. I know I'm going to fail. And in this series, we've heard a lot of, uh, a, a lot of hard things. And there might be some things you've heard, uh, like baptism. You've been encouraged to get baptized, but you're scared. Uh, maybe you're not seeing the personal transformation in your life. Maybe you want to serve, but you're just not sure how. And there's a sense of, I just can't do. I just can't do nothing. Well, that's exactly the position that this passage is telling us we should be in. We can do nothing on our own strength. Our job is to abide. Our job is to abide. Even when we think of a baby dedication, some of us remember when we had our little Elijah looking up at us, those big eyes. What are those eyes looking for? Those big eyes are looking for a fixed address. They are looking for a fixed address in the hearts of their parents and certainly as parents my parent myself there's lots of convicting moments just had a, uh, a question on the way here driving here uh, about parenting uh, thinking about a, a, a baby dedication if you're holding your baby those big brown blue or the gray eyes looking up on you and you've got your cell phone and, and you're standing on a bridge and they both fall into the river have, what's the baby going to think? What's the baby going to think? I've got a fixed address in the heart of my parent, and my parent will reach for me 
before they will reach for their cell phone. Well, that's obvious. But is it obvious to our children? Is there enough evidence in the day, in the week, that they can say, no, I've definitely got a fixed address in my parents' heart. And that's what God is looking for us, to go to him and see him as our fixed address. He is our source. He is the one we depend on. In my mid-20s, I experienced an, a, a quarter-life, I'll call it a quarter-life crisis. Um, the 20s are hard. The 20s are hard. We've got a bunch of people in their 20s. The 20s can be hard. And why wait for a midlife crisis when you can have it early? Have your quarter-life crisis. I was burnt out. I was lonely. I was depressed. And God was doing some pruning in my life that I did not appreciate. In fact, I was quite frustrated. And just as a little aside, it's quite unsettling to be in that place where you've experienced the love of Christ, when you've experienced his sap flowing through you, and be annoyed or frustrated with God. Because if you're like me, you now start looking at other options. And if you've experienced this, all of the other options are non-options. They look shiny and flashy, but you can see where they're going. And so it's, it's a very difficult place to be. And we see, uh, again, we, again, this is a, a part of our Christian experience. We will be frustrated. And there are psalms that, uh, 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 that remind us of people in the past who have been frustrated, and they've vented to God. As we know the only way is to go back. And when we do, it's the best way. And so in my quarter-life crisis, someone connected me with a retired pastor and his wife. And so I went down to their place for a few days in the London area. And uh, when I arrived on, on the first evening, he said, I would like you to join me for my devotions tomorrow. And so he said, after breakfast, we'll just uh, go through that, uh, that door and uh, we'll go in, into, that, into that room. And my interest was piqued immediately. I thought, what does the devotions of a retired pastor look like? What does it, his desk look like? Is it big? Is it solid wood? What do his shelves look like? How many commentaries are on his shelves? Does he read the English Bible or does he read the Hebrew and Greek Bible? And so after breakfast the next day, we walk through this door into this very simple living room. And uh, there's a, uh, uh, he pulls out a folding table, takes a couple folding chairs, and we sit down at this folding table together. He's got a Bible, a memo pad, and he's got a pen. And he said, so what I do is I just say a word of prayer. And then I write down three words. And he went through the three words. He said, I write down the word needs. And I, 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 this is kind of a spiritual journal. I'm just reflecting on the previous day. And then I write down the word Bible, and I read the scripture. Uh, sometimes I go through a book of the Bible. Sometimes I'm going through a topic. But I just pick up, pick up where I left off the day before. Sometimes I read a couple chapters. Sometimes I only read a verse. And, uh, and I just read that and I write down some of my thoughts. And then I end my time with prayer. A folding table, a Bible, a memo pad, a pen. It was quite anticlimactic. What I didn't realize is the impact that moment would have on my own devotional life in the years to come. And what I didn't understand at that time is that he was teaching me to abide. He was reminding me 
that going to your Bible and doing your devotions is not meant to be a checkbox to check. He's reminding me that when you go to church, this is not just a box that you're checking. When you're going to um, uh, serve, this is not a box that you're checking. Instead, uh, rather, these rhythms in your lives are to foster a life of abiding. And so when I'm going to church, I'm coming to church with intentions of abiding. And when I'm going into my devotions, I'm going in with the intention, intentions of deb- abiding. And he was reminding me that when we do that, we leave the church building. We leave our devotions with uh, an abiding spirit. And so there's an intimidating verse in the scripture. It's intimidating. It's convicting to me. It says, pray continually. Pray continually. The late Bible teacher, Dr. Howard Hendricks, reflected on a time when he was encouraging his congregation to our congregation to get into the word get get into the word read the scripture he got to the end of the service he was standing at the back and a little old lady came up to him and said Dr. Howard Hendricks I've read through the Bible 29 times and he looked at her and he said good how many times has the Bible been through you this morning, I want us to participate in communion. And uh, before we do, I would like us to abide by working through these three words. And if it helps, I want you to pretend that you're at a folding table and you're sitting beside a retired pastor and uh, you're writing down these three words and maybe you have a memo pad and you can actually write these words down. And this is scriptural. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Search me, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me. In another verse, examine yourself and return to the Lord. And this time of need, uh, and again, as I recall this, um, uh, sitting down with this, with this fellow, this is kind of like a post-game analysis. We're talking about football. Sometimes I, I like to uh, walk through the classroom when the coach is doing a post-game analysis with his team. He's got the play on the screen, and uh, there's, he's saying, why were you looking over here? You should have been looking over here. Why were you over here? You should have been over here. And uh, the guys walk out more equipped and more prepared. But this is kind of like a post-game analysis, but we're not talking about football. We're talking about processing the events and the attitudes of our heart. And uh, just in our moment together, I want us to reflect on the last 24 hours. And uh, I am going to, because this is a diverse group and because we come from a lot of different experiences and we're in, in different circumstances right now, I'm going to read a number of verses, uh, read a number of questions on the screen. And I would like you to pick one question that grips your attention, and that's what you're going to spend just a couple of moments in our, in our time together to reflect on. And so uh, what, have, what have been my felt experiences over the last 24 hours? In what areas did I overreact? Why? Did I have a kingdom mindset? Did I feel a nudge from God I didn't respond to? Why? What lies am I subscribing to? What sin have I committed? And so what I would like you to do, uh, Chris is going to play some uh, music in the background. I just want you to reflect on one of those questions. Over the last 24 hours, what have been the murmurings of your heart as you process this? So take a few moments. If it helps to close your eyes, you can, you can do that.
What do you need? What do you need? As you reflected on the murmurings of your heart, what emerged? What did God reveal to you? Have you identified a need? There's a blind man that came to Jesus and Jesus asked him, what do you want from me? And he said, I want to see. He knew his need and he asked. In verse 7 of our text, we are encouraged to ask. Ask. What's your request for the vine this morning? We are a needy people, and if we took the silencer off all the murmurings of our heart, we would see a variety of needs this morning. For our purposes this morning, I want you to um, put your need into one of these four categories. The need that kind of maybe emerged, and maybe this was too quick for you and uh, it's all too much, but uh, uh, just, just follow along. If you had to put your need into one of those four categories, uh, what would it be? Uh, do you need a truth? Do you need uh, truth for restlessness? Is your need a truth for a sinful heart? Is your need a truth for a hurting heart? Or a truth for a burdened heart? A restless heart? The song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do you need truth for a restless heart? You've been looking over the fence for the silver bullet, searching in, in the fridge or on the screen for something that will satisfy or maybe you need truth for a sinful heart. God commands, uh, you know he's commanding you to go this way and, and you're going this way. Uh, he knows that he want, you want, he knows, you know that uh, he wants you to drink from the fountain of life and you've been drinking from the sewage. What about a hurting heart? Maybe you're experiencing pain or suffering or loneliness or maybe a burdened heart. There's a heavy weight on your shoulders. So select your category, and in a moment I'm going to put verses underneath each one of those categories. And what I would like you to do is prayerfully read those scriptures, because the Word of God is active. And prayerfully pray that He will speak truth into your need. And don't be weirded out by the silence. You're going to hear the odd cough and maybe some baby noises. Maybe Elijah will wake up. And uh, you're going to hear, for those of you that are using a hard copy of the Bible, you're going to hear some rustling pages and those are the pages of your fellow branches looking for sap. And so look at these uh, verses. And uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you've got the page numbers there. You might only look at one verse. You might look at two verses.
As we think about communion this morning, we recognize that Jesus met our greatest need at the cross, our need for forgiveness. Christ has given us permanent residence, just like Elijah is looking up at Amy in the same way we are looking up at him, and we are looking for permanent residence, residences for our spiritual soul. We were dead in our sins, and now we are alive in Christ. And after I pray, I'm going to invite you to take of the cup and take of the bread. And uh, uh, the music team's going to play a little instrumental. And um, uh, during that time, let me encourage you to just pray the Acts prayer. Prayer of adoration. Prayer of confession. When we identify our needs, uh, often we need to confess sins. Prayer of thanksgiving. Supplication. We also have requests. We need God's power to be working through us. It's about abiding. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to take up the emblems. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we are guilty of so often turning away from you, believing that we can do things in ourselves, clenching our fists, white-knuckling it, believing that we can do it, or we're guilty of going the other way into self-pity and believing that there's no, no help, there's no strength. And Lord, as we come before you, we're grateful that you have taken care of our greatest need, our forgiveness of sins. We don't need to stand before you with shame, but we can stand before you as sanctified uh, human beings accepted into your family. And I'm praying that as we take this cup and take this bread, you might help us to remi remind us of the pain that your son has gone through so that we might no longer be dead in sin, but be alive in Christ. And we pray this in the power of Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.
next song we're going to sing is None But Jesus. And as Jeff was speaking about that, that word home and abide, um, it just really stirred in my heart because I thought just as we took communion, um, the blood of Jesus Christ is what allows me to be grafted into the vine. I have no place in the vine except for the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, I think it was the Mosaic podcast that the women are doing. We listened to one of the episodes and it talked about when we are in Christ and we're grafted into the vine, there's no differentiation between where the vine begins and the branch begins or ends. Like, we can't tell because we are in Jesus Christ. And just, just the beauty of that and knowing um, who we are in him just compels me to want to keep abiding in him because um, it says, if we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. And often I get that switched around. I think if I abide in his commandments, or abide in him, then I will abide in his commandments and I'll obey him. But actually, if I obey him, I will abide in, his, in him. And I can so often get that switched around. And as we sing this song, None But Jesus, let's just, yeah, bathe in that, the beauty of just the belonging in Jesus Christ and that the fruit that he wants to bring forth from that.
lots of opportunity to reflect and uh, into our hearts and uh, yeah pretty powerful things Jeff mentioned uh, his experience in Toronto as a teenager knowing that he has a good home to go back home to and uh, the, the image of a scuba diver if there's anything that I would be have a phobia of is going deep into the water with just a mask on my face with a oxygen. And uh, the, the dependency, the sense that you need to be connected to that life-giving oxygen. And the fact that Jesus Christ is the one we are to abide in. He is the true vine. I'd like you to listen to these words by John, the apostle who append these words. And uh, the big concern of him as as a followers of Jesus, that we would really abide in him. He uses a different word here. So I want to read this, and I trust you will be encouraged um, to not just check the box. That's who I am. I'm a list maker. I'm a check-the-box type of person. So for me to really abide in Christ, my conscience was really pricked this morning with the fact that I can go through the motions but I'm not really abiding. So listen to these words uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Title is Children of God. And now, dear children, continue, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. The motivating factor, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We belong to an amazing family. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, Jesus. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Father, we desperately need to abide in your son. We thank you that you have given us the ability to make choices. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can yield and not quench the spirit when you are calling us to come to you and really, truly take in of the vine, the true vine, the love of Christ that is shed into our hearts and the selflessness that Jesus 
demonstrate it by going to the cross on our behalf. And if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know the love and kindness and generosity and the power of the cross, and having come to the foot of the cross and confessing their sins and repenting and changing their mind that they can't make it on their own, would you speak into their hearts this morning? And for us who know you, Lord Jesus, help us by your spirit and by the word of God that we can humble ourselves and not pride in our own goodness or pride in our own self-righteousness, but that we might find the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We have an amazing, amazing family we belong to in Jesus Christ. The family of God, the children of God, a father who is sitting on a high throne waiting to send his son to get us, to take us to our true home. Oh, we thank you. Help us this week, all of us, to abide in your love, to abide in Christ, to feed on that vine that has such rich, rich fruit. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. So, contemplate the message. Don't rush out. Uh, there is coffee, I believe, in the gym, so enjoy some fellowship. Encourage one another. Speak the truth into each other's lives. Thank you. You're dismissed.